You're tuned to WGNS on this Tuesday morning and in studio with us from the juvenile court system here in Rutherford County, we have juvenile court judge Donna Scott Davenport. How are you? Good morning, Scott. Nice out there today. Yes, yes. I think we're really getting into the summer. I think so. Yeah. It, it was kind of cool, though, this weekend. Oh, yeah. I thought it was nice. Unless, I guess, you want to get in that cold water and swim or ski. But, yeah, <laughs> it true. was nice. So what all is happening within the courts this time of year? Well, uh, two or three weeks ago, the Chief Justice lifted our mask requirement in the courtroom and uh, and then gave us uh, less rest- uh, restrictions. We're still under restrictions. Uh, it was six feet of distancing, of course, and, and uh, how many people you could have in your courtroom, depending on that. Of course, our courtrooms in juvenile court are very uh, small. So we were at 10, so we've, we're increasing that. It, there's not an exact number, maybe uh, 15 to 20, depending uh, on where everybody needs to sit to be socially distanced distanced and um a lot of the other restrictions are there still that uh, of course the lobby of our building is controlled by the sheriff's office so the people that come in there is controlled by them so a lot of our witnesses and parties that are waiting for their case to be called uh, sometimes still have to wait out in the parking lot maybe in their car or out front if the lobby you know gets too uh, crowded because it's hard to do those numbers because we've got people coming in and out of the three courtrooms so we could have nobody in the lobby and you turn around and we have 15 and that won't work so the deputies are doing their best with still monitoring that and uh, I think that's going to be with us for for quite a while and we're still doing a lot by zoom and again we're going to keep some of that procedure with certain cases I think that it's it really benefits our children if we have any children that are in state custody or placed with a friend or relative but still are involved with the department from abuse and neglect the court has to lay eyes on them uh so often and it's very you know with all the cases that we have it's almost every day that we have a group of of children in our courtroom so we've been doing that by zoom and of course we miss the the smiles and giving away some trinkets to them but it's so much better for them and a lot of our children may not be placed close by they may have an hour two hour drive so that we're going to probably maintain that as long as that's still working just for that part and then we can uh, we can interview them chat with we don't interview chat with them make sure their all their needs are being met and then they don't have to be on the road they don't have to be missing school uh, the foster placements usually bring them. They don't have to be missing work. So I think that's one of the things that we're definitely going to look long term uh, at doing because it seems to really be working and it's really beneficial better for our children. And again, if anybody has any questions this morning or throughout the morning, you can call in at 615-893-1450. You can also text us. Again, 615-893-1450. On the air with us is Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport. And in the juvenile courts, I know that it has always been a very big deal to make sure that names are not released and that information is not released to the public because you're talking about children, juveniles who, you know, well, they're still kids. So how do you go about maintaining that within the court system when you have other families coming in and out trying to go to court too? Well, the statute says that is it is a confidential court. And what is confidential is the record. 
And there are certain hearings that absolutely by statute, no one except for an interested party, um, DCS would, would be involved, maybe CASA, if they're not going to testify on that particular day. Uh, they are not allowed in those proceedings. The law changed a few years ago with our children that commit crimes. We call those delinquent acts or a status offense, something only a child can commit, runaway, truancy, that type thing. Uh, it was discretionary on the court, and I would always have during school a lot of uh, friend, excuse me, friends or girlfriends, boyfriends that would come and uh, come to court with them. And they hmm. nine o'clock during the week they should be in school, <laughs> and uh, I would always uh, they they couldn't be there. So we we'd find out who brought them and maybe contact a parent. Uh, but now the law changed a couple of years ago that it's an open court. And the only time that we can close a hearing is if the court on its own motion says we're going to close this hearing and has to hear from all the parties that might be against that. and um, Or an attorney raises the issue. And those are usually with delinquent acts that are serious or very um, sensitive in nature. So those can be requested to be closed to the public. Um, but the record itself is confidential. So, and I always tell uh, my children that we dismiss and expunge their record. They get a copy of that expungement because their file is closed. But a little um, life lesson: if you go in to law enforcement or military, more than likely, ninety-nine percent, you will sign a release that allows them to come and get your record. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always say, just be honest. Just be honest with them. You were young and dumb, and what happened? And it was dismissed and expunged. You'll have the copy of the expungement. Uh, just don't lie to them, because if you sign a release, mm-hmm. and we always compare those signatures, then yes, uh, they're going to be able to get that. And the only other time that your record can be used against you as a youth from your youth activities, if you offend as an adult, and you're facing. Uh, criminal time as an adult the district attorney's office can come back and get your record like your charges and use that against you in sentencing like two to ten two being the minimum ten the maximum the da may say look he's been breaking into cars since he was 12 still doing it at 20 give him 10 don't give him two so it in, it can increase or enhance that punishment so that can also be used against you so are the records from a youth are they kept for life by the courts the juvenile courts well we've had several that have come in past even before my day that need uh for jobs or military or whatever and yeah the records are there they may be off-site i'm not quite sure where the clerks keep up that's a lot of uh, files but if we need them they go they go and get them and, and we find them so yeah a lot of everything's on you know is entered in the computer now but yeah we still have uh, every file has a hard copy so how long ago and you know it may have been back in the 20s i don't know but how long ago did I guess the state, the courts, the federal government say, well, if it's a juvenile, we're going to keep it to where the names are not released publicly. I mean, when did that take place? Well, our juvenile law history is that in the 60s, when we were having our civil rights movement, um, and Miranda for adults came about. And that is about the time, the mid-late 60s, that the juveniles had no rights. There was no case law protecting them. Uh, Our history goes way back to our children living on the streets, 
uh, being uh, neglected or just abandoned, uh, stealing food. Most of that was stealing to survive, uh, running away from home, uh, not having parents that really could manage them or take care of them. And they developed uh, what was called um, um, homes. They were uh, formatories. They were not pleasant at all. And then we went through different series through the years, and then we went to um, uh, group homes, and then and then today where we are is that we we try to place children abandoned and neglected in a foster home in a in a true home with another family. But you look back in the twenties, and this was in the twenty five thirties, the children were stealing; they were on their own; they had nobody to protect them. And look where we are today. We still have the same issues just just different i guess just different areas of the issue right and we have a better way to take care of our children and when the law started changing with miranda then our juvenile law started changing with case law that gave them a right to an attorney a right to remain silent uh, a right not to be tried as an adult a lot of children in the 60s were just sent over and and said I'm convicting you as an adult, and you might be 14 or 15 on a minor offense, and go to prison. There's several case laws that I teach at the university that they went to prison for something longer than an adult would have for the same offense. So there wasn't any balancing there for our children. Uh, But now, uh, the law is the same for the elements to prove a crime. If an adult breaks into your car, auto burglary, the, the elements the state must prove are there. If a child breaks into your car, it's still charged with theft of a, a vehicle, auto burglary, and the and the merits to get that uh, prosecuted are the same. Here's the difference, and I always say this. We're not dealing with the offense in juvenile court. We're dealing with the offender and their children. So we do deal with those totally different, and the, the law tells us how to do that. You know, it, at some point, I would assume that Maybe a doctor, a psychologist came to the courts in some state and said, look, a, a child's brain is still developing up until 20, 21 years old. Uh, it, it, and then I guess the courts decided or politicians decided, well, we got to change something here. Well, there was a process, and this has been a process since 1925 or 30. And through that process, a lot of scholars have come on board and said, we don't need to treat them this way. We need to do this for them. Their brain is not developed. And we're still at conferences. We still are learning. Uh, about the brain development of boys and girls, a little differently for both, and what they can comprehend, what they don't even hear, and what's best for them for their future life and how to deal with them and give them. Because, again, by statute, we are a court of treatment and rehabilitation. Let's identify our issues. Let's give them what they need to change that behavior and turn them around. That's what we're all about. So really, with any court system, there is a lot of psychology and soci- sociology involved in, in everyday cases. And we have, absolutely, especially in juvenile, most of our children that we see, they've had some kind of trauma in their life, and they didn't maybe get the counseling or the help they needed at that time, and it's now they're acting out and um i have a lot of children they're angry and they have every right to be angry with as i call it the cards they're dealt with 
but we've got to show that anger appropriately and we've got to get them help and we have providers in our courtroom today will be that docket that tuesday docket where we have the children breaking the law and we will have so many people of course they won't be in except at one time when that case is called that we've put services in the home uh we have providers that come three or four times a week uh there's so much out there that we can give these children and that's what we do we've got to surround them with everything that's going to help them to manage uh what they're going through and a better way to handle it again with us this morning juvenile court judge donna scott davenport you know over the whole pandemic and i know the pandemic is still going on but throughout it supposedly there's been less reports of domestic violence and child abuse and child sex abuse and i don't think there's really been less cases of it there's just been less reporting of it because kids haven't been in school they haven't been interacting with people as much do you think there's going to be an influx of that you know now that things are slowly getting back to normal well when we started lifting restrictions you know a year in march so around the fall we started removing more children. We were not, have, I say removed with DCS involvement. And then also with grandparents coming in trying to get custody with allegations or relatives because our main reporters are our school counselors, our teachers, SROs, and law enforcement. And they weren't interacting at all. You know, when a child comes to school they have such a good, usually, relationship with one of those persons in their school. And they can, or it's physical, and the teacher could see the bruises or see that she's wearing a sweater when it's 90 degrees outside to cover up a bruise. And I think that was the main thing that just had me in a tailspin is that what's happening to our children because everybody's together and that creates tension and tempers and possible violence and nobody was there to help them and, and protect them and that was the that was the largest thing but we we did we started seeing more and then um hopefully if anybody had to suffer through that maybe they've been brought to light that that that's because it was it was and it was very emotional for me to go i i know they're out there they're just nobody's nobody's there to help them it's very emotional you know i i can imagine that a couple of years from now, there's going to be all types of surveys, reports, statistics released on what happened during the whole COVID pandemic, because we've never seen something like this, but it has been so different. I mean, the way it changed lives is monumental. Yeah. And nobody, nobody still knows what it might do to our health. And um, a lot of children, of course, that stay home and online distance learning which was fine that that was fine but i can always say are you in school now that we're back uh well where did you go to school this semester well i was so and so and was that distance or in person it was distance well i want when you come back next week i want to see what your grades were what your attendance was um, not happening <laughs> a lot of it was not happening and there again we've got parents that have gone back to work and the students are still dis- distance learning, they can't balance it all. It's a lot to balance. Then you're going to go either basically homeschool your child or check behind them while you've worked all day and you got to get home and you got to get other things done. It was. It's very difficult. It's, it's caused a huge turmoil at, you know, in everybody's life. Well, you know, you even had A and B students who all of a sudden are now at home distance learning failing, you know, out of the blue. And I'm sure it's because... 
Well, they're kids. They need to be in that classroom. They need the structure. Yeah. We need structure. In, they need structure in their lives on every topic every day. You know, I've had so many over the years that I might run into it or reach out to me, and they'll say, you're the only one that cared if I got a diploma or not. Wow. I've had them come in the courtroom, and I go, mm, I'm sorry, can I help you because you're not – this years ago. I just want you to see my diploma. I want you to see my GED or my HICET. And, of course, very proud of them. But I shouldn't be the one that they go to. But I'm glad I was there to maybe not just encourage, but order them to, to get that education. Now, what happens in cases where there is a, a, a let's say, a 10-year-old who was abused by a parent? Now, is that parent to appear before you or because they're an adult, they have to go to two different courts? They go to two different courts. That's a great question, Scott. Civilly, my court on abuse and neglect is a civil court, and those parents' consequences, the child's probably been removed from them but they come back to juvenile court for them for the department or whoever filed the petition to prove by the highest level of we have clear and convincing evidence that the child is a, a ne- dependent or neglected with one of our grounds and in need of protection of the court and who is the proper person to provide for that protection now if they are charged criminally not all of them are charged criminally then they go to adult or general sessions or adult criminal court is where they go for that so they're going to your court first so that the child can be placed in the proper home if needed, and then they're going to the adult criminal court if they have criminal charges against them. Exactly, and we are such a court of urgency. Last Sunday and this past Sunday, I had a hearing. The law last year changed that if the Department of Children's Services uh, removes a child, that there has to be a hearing on the protective order within 48 hours. And those both those Friday nights, they removed a child and placed in state custody. So we had to have a hearing. Now, we did those by Zoom, but we have to have that hearing and immediately sign that order uh, to protect that child and bring this. Now, they're still going to have a hearing today, and they had one last Monday, because we have to have those hearings in three days. So, yes, criminal, they're not going to get their hearing as quick. If you're arrested and held, 15-day bond hearing. In juvenile, it's 24 to 72 hours. Boom. you got to have hearings. Yep, Because we've taken your most constitutional right away from you is your child. So, so are yeah. you on call 24-7 to yes, where sir. whatever happens? Always have, always have been. Yes, so sir. They literally, and, and I guess sometimes they do call you at 3, 4 a.m. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, always have been. So yeah. what types of things happen, I guess, at 3 a.m. that would need a judge involved? Well, I'll give you an example. The police are called to a, a baby screaming and has been screaming at one of our po- – it's usually one of our hotels. It could be an apartment. And the police arrive, and they gain entry, and there's a baby in the crib. There's a 2-year-old. There's a 4-year-old. They're living in filth, and no parent. No parent at no all? No parent. And a lot of those, the parent – has gone and wanted to get out for the night and they're usually at a establishment and they may have left somebody they met three days ago at the same hotel or the same apartment in charge and they just left them or they're used to leaving them that that's one thing it's got to be something that's urgent and the, the department when they then the police call department of children services they come out and they try to find a relative a friend that might could just take the children 
temporarily until we can locate the parent and place with the parent approval. And usually those parents are home by 3 or 4 or 5 in the morning so that they can, you know, and sometimes they're arrested uh, depending on their condition. Yeah. And lots of times we have the, the drugs and the needles in the in the room with the babies. and that. So it's something that urgent, and they're not able to find anybody that the parent or parents can agree to leave the child with temporarily. And then they start services with that parent as well as taking care of the children. So do you actually have and have you seen here in Rutherford County where a parent's living in a weekly motel and they leave behind, let's say, a three-year-old while they go out and party? Absolutely. It's crazy that really happens. Absolutely. Happens more than you even want to think about. I mean, I can't imagine a three-year-old being left alone to begin with, even in a nice house with everything put away so the kid doesn't get, you know. And they may leave a seven-year-old in charge of the baby. Or even a 10 or 12-year-old in charge of the baby you or know, babies. And I'm sure those seven-year-olds who are in charge of the baby are probably more developed in the way they're able to comprehend things because of their life they've lived. They've had to. And that's an issue we always have when we have to separate sibling uh, children from their parent is they come in at 10 or 12 and they're an adult because they've been taking care of themselves and their siblings for such a long time and mama and daddy. That, no, I I have to be with them. Who's going to take care of my mommy and my daddy? Who's going to take care of them if I'm not there? And that's trauma. Yeah, it's it's a sad court, and it can also be a, a happy court. What happens when, let's say, a police officer is driving down the street, sees a, a woman asking for money on a street corner, and she has a little baby with her out in the hot sun all day long? What happens there? What could happen? Well, I, I'm not sure what the police procedure would be, but they may inquire, and if the, and if especially, let's say they're left in a hot car, you know that happens a lot. Then uh, they they may call again Department of Children's Services, let them do their job to investigate, and see if it rises to that small balancing test of more than likely this child is in need of protection from somebody, and the mama or daddy is not the proper person to provide for care for the child. I guess in general, all of us need to be on the lookout for things that that don't seem right, that are abnormal for a child to be in that situation. Uh, absolutely. And when when, he, when we were first started last March with, with COVID, and I came on the show, I gave numbers, and I begged, if you see something that's not right, because I don't have anybody helping us report these, at, at least call. At least call and give them all the information that you have so they can do their job. And I guess summertime is similar to what we experienced with COVID during the school year. You don't have kids going to school and interacting with teachers and counselors. So there again in the summer, it's harder to get information, I would say, about children who are being abused. It is, and I think that's what's good about all of our school systems, like giving the, the lunches and, and the services that they do through summer. That's still contact. So somebody's still there to visually observe and, 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 and maybe chat and, you know, see where the radar is with these children. So I think that's all good because they're still a way to reach out to those children through a lot of the summer school pro- programs that we have. And our charities, our, our nonprofits that have summer activities for children. You know, everybody's a, report, a mandatory reporter in that situation. So if they have a child that comes to them and they sense that, they have to report it. So those summer programs are wonderful to help with that detection. Now, when you report a, a child is being abused, maybe sexually abused, 
there are some situations where the person who reports it is going to be known by law enforcement because it may be a counselor, a, a school counselor, maybe a private counselor, or you know, a doctor. But in those cases, those are the ones where they're professionally obligated to tell, of course, and everybody's obligated to tell, but those are the ones, I guess, that that's what they do for a living anyway. Right. They're mandatory reporters. But usually what they do is they call the 800 hotline number, and that is totally confidential. They won't ask your name. Um, they can't give your name. And I, I have attorneys even in court that go, well, did you call and make a referral? Objection. And it can't come in. That's totally confidential. I've got a DCS worker on the stand. Well, tell me who called that in. Objection. Yes, you cannot. You can't reveal that because that's the nature of the whole reporting is that if, unless you tell them, now, a lot of people can put two and two together, but you cannot be forced to tell that you did the reporting. And we have to have that in place. We have to have that in place. As a judge, when you are you know, in the midst of a court case and you have the attorney from the other side you know, insist, well, who, who's the one who said this? Does that just make your blood boil? Because well, no. well they, a lot of them will just try to get it in, Yeah. but then there should be an objection. And usually if it's a state case, they're definitely going to object because I never have one attorney. I may have uh, three children with three different daddies and a mama, and then the child has an attorney and then the state. Five or six attorneys are usually minimum for me in a case like this. And usually somebody's going to object to that. And uh, we had an objection the other day, and, and the, the question was, what was the nature of the referral? Not that it was true. A litany of these allegations were true. but And they objected. I said, no, that comes in. That's just that's not saying I've got to listen to the proof to prove if there's a ground for that. But what the referral grounds were can come in, but not who reported it. Are attorneys more bold today in the way they – position a case or the way they may question a suspect or even a victim? I don't know if bold is the word I would use, Scott. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, people, you always have to try. You know, yeah. that's your that's what you do. You're zealous within the bounds of the law to represent your client. Um, and if you don't ask and you don't try, you know, if somebody on the other side's not on their toes, you know, so. But, but things have changed over the years for sure oh. with even manners of those you know in general people's manners i mean some absolutely things have changed absolutely let's let's have a little more respect in our manners in our dress um with the court with a uh, uh, counsel with litig your own litigant just yeah and we've we've slipped a lot from because i've been around for a minute and and we have they're still getting the job done um but the professionalism uh, I see has slacked a little bit, but maybe that's just the way we are. You know, we've, we've laxed in everything in 20-something years. You know, we've just gone with the flow of being a little more uh, relaxed with things. Again, with us this morning, Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back, were, are, were you the first Juvenile Court Judge to have their own courtroom in Rutherford County? Election 2000, August of 2000. Uh, and at that time, there were only five of us in the state, and there's seven now, independent juvenile court judges. So where did the kids go before you came along? Those counties that don't have an independent juvenile court where I'm a county judge, they go to general sessions, and those judges have juvenile court jurisdiction. 
But before, when I took over, they would have detentions Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Those kids held, and I did that docket as a referee. And then they did one day a, uh, a week for those children born out of wedlock, and then the abuse and neglect were just filtered in there. Uh, a lot of counties, smaller counties, they may have juvenile court once a month. Uh, now, do you see cases from other counties here? No, well, unless they recuse, unless uh, uh, they AOC calls and says we've got a case, the judge can't hear it. Will you take it? And then they they appoint me to be the judge of that by recusal. But no, now what I might hear is uh, if my child has been in another county and got a re- got charged, that court has to take the plea or find them delinquent. Then they send to their home county disposition or their consequence so that we do get those we hand down the consequence right now that time 841 our phone number 615-893-1450 we're going to take a short break you can call in or text us any questions you may have again 615-893-1450 and we'll be right back This is Amanda at Animal City. Come see us at 919 Northwest Broad Street here in Murfreesboro. Now is a great time to consider flea and tick protection for your pet. We carry a full line of flea and tick products for dogs, cats, rabbits, and ferrets. We also carry a variety of hard to find products for your specialty pets. So if you need a pouch for your sugar glider or food for your hedgehog, come see us at Animal City. You can find Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the things when we were looking at trying to craft our menu to help those who are dieting is the side dishes. A lot of times we were so used to eating starches and unhealthy side dishes. In addition to our spinach, which we've had on the menu from the start, we've added zucchini and green beans, but we've also added broccoli. The broccoli is properly steamed so it's not too soft and not too hard. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. This is Kim Dunaway from Sunshine Nutrition Center. You hear me on Monday mornings at 720 talking about how to lead a healthier lifestyle. We carry supplements, personal care, and grocery items at both our Murfreesboro and Smyrna locations, family-owned and operated since 1989. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear, talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. The Academy was brand new. West Point and Annapolis, you got a primary or an alternate, where if you passed, you're in. If you failed, the alternate goes. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the U.S. Air Force. They were looking at the rounded citizen. James Deck, better known as J.D., flew a C-130 in Vietnam. First, they break you down, take care of the mother's apron strings, and then they teach you. We were averaging 25 semester hours in class. I did stress anything to do with Russia while I was there. We were at war with Russia. First day of class, we walked in, and Lieutenant Suzdilev, who was raised Russian, he said, Sadich. He came over to me, and he held out a pen, and he said, Kaspidin Kennedy Stoveta. Came back around. He expected me to remember. When we graduated, they sent us to pilot training, but at that time, most of us had to be pilots to be qualified. Finished pilot training, and I got the last C-130. James Deck, a veteran of Vietnam. They needed me overseas immediately because a lieutenant's wife was sick. Rushed me over to Vietnam. 
get there and the first night I'm in bed they're all having a party I didn't know anybody and they woke me up at two and said we're going flying and we went over and carried the first casualties out of Vietnam. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military salute to veterans. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County but will always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSradio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Right now that time, 846 Rutherford County Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport on the air with us this morning. So if somebody wants to make an anonymous report of maybe a a neighbor's child or somebody down the street or or whatever the case is, how do they do that and stay anonymous? I want to give the number, and I'm sure that you'll put it up for them too. It's a toll-free number, 877-237-237. Zero 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 four, eight seven seven two three seven zero 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 four. That's the Department of Children's Services, and you can just say I, I need to report what I think is whatever. And I always say you've got to give them all that you can, even if you don't think it's significant. Give that person on the phone all the information you can. Uh, because here's the process. They get the call, and they have ratings of uh, priorities, P1 being the highest priority all the way down. And the facts may be, I think these children are, are just not home at night, uh, but nothing else. Nothing's, they're not out in the streets. They're not dealing drugs. They're, and that might move down the list if that's all you've got, you know. If, if you've got more information that would cause red flags, you need to give them everything you can to raise that priority because it could even get screened out. It could. And there's a, a system that's been in operation for several years now. You can also go online and do it, uh, just the Department of Children's Services, and then go on their link to report abuse and neglect. And you can uh, they'll give you now a number, or when you go online, you can go back in and see the status of what happened used to you get a letter a month or two later saying we ruled this out or there wasn't an invest it was unfounded there wasn't any need for anything but now you can get more of that immediate help uh, of knowing what happened and i've heard well i just reported them two weeks ago and nothing happened we reported again hopefully you got something new to give them you know add just keep 
just keep reporting. What happens when you come across a household where both the mom and the dad are dealing drugs, maybe not directly out of the house, but they're they're either growing them there, they're making them there, or they're storing the drugs there and then selling them at some point, maybe outside the house? What, what do you do in cases like that where you have kids living there? Well, again, you could report to DCS, but I'm not so sure you should maybe make a little call to the police department, but that might come out uh, as to who called. But uh, remember... It's confidential if you call the department. Uh, you know, we had it uh, uh, several years ago. We're not seeing it as much now, thank goodness, meth, making meth in the home with, with the children there, which is very dangerous, you know. But you have those cases, and I guess what makes it even more dangerous is the fact that, well, if you're a drug dealer, you're going to be a target, you know, of, of other Violence. drug dealers, right. for one. Uh, and, and for those who know you're going to have cash on hand, so you got that problem of violence, the potential of it, inside your house where kids are living. And you do, and that's another concern. And I've had children that have committed criminal acts, delinquent acts, that are in that situation themselves. They're teenagers from their own actions, placing their families in danger of their house getting shot or them, you know, right, drive-by shootings of the house. So it, it, it comes with it sometimes. So it is a very dangerous situation. You know, while this may sound like a, a crazy movie, but do you have cases where you have the mom and dad dealing drugs and their teenage child? Oh, absolutely. I've got them staying home smoking their dope on the couch together, snorting their cocaine together. Oh, absolutely. So you have teenagers doing cocaine? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's just, a world that we don't know about it really is it it's a a lot of people that come or eight when you were able to come in at serve court and leadership rutherford's coming back yay raw uh they're just blown away when they get to observe the court of of the conditions that some of our families are in and it's just it's just tragic and i would guess a lot of people start selling drugs in order to support their own drug habit i mean i I guess that's how a lot of it starts. I think that's how a lot of it starts. Or people uh, taunt them with, "I'll give you fifty, well, fifty dollars, and you know, hundred dollars, I can go buy those shoes or, or whatever." Yeah, it's 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 always a carrot. They dangling they're dangling that carrot in front of them all the time. It's not this romantic fantasy that you see on movies where you're making a million dollars a year selling drugs, driving, you know, sports cars and private yachts. Well, I think some of it in their mind is. That they can do that because they're very proud of it. They post it. They take pictures of it a lot, a lot, a lot of times, and so they're proud of it in that way. So it, some of it might be, you know. And it's interesting. You'll see pictures on social media where somebody is, you know, holding a stack of cash, and and you know, good and well, well, they they work at McDonald's. They can't. Why would they have that? But they do boast what they do, what they have, and that's got to come into play in the court system. Oh, it does. It does. Yeah. So they will, I guess, what, the state will pull up those pictures and say, look, you know, they're, they're bragging about it. Usually law enforcement's on top of that. Yeah, they're usually on top of that. Yeah. It's interesting. Social media has uh, it's had to have made it a little bit easier at times for law enforcement. And it, it, I just bought, I just don't understand people when I see some people post stuff and I'm like, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah, well, they, they, they're on top of that, and I have a saying, and I always say, if you're going to be stupid, you better be tough. And social media yeah. also helps tie cases, I guess, to specific dates very easily. Oh, absolutely. It, it, I, was, I was here. No, I was here. 
well, here you are, <laughs> you know. And you can always argue that. The defense can always argue that and, and probably make a, a good case against it. And then you just have to weigh the evidence to see, you know, where you are. So where does social media play a role in some of the court cases you see? Oh, sexing. We hadn't even got to that yet. Um, uh, you know, and the pictures and uh, just constantly. It's toxic. It is toxic with these children having these devices in their hands all the time and it does it it and it also we've talked about bullying 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 and it that it, that's coming at you 24 hours and it does affect our children it hurts our children it, it takes away their self-esteem they get depressed it's 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 all the way around it's brutal what it can always be good for us but a lot of it is toxic for them so the bullies are obviously still out there where i guess you may not hear about school fights as much but there's a different type of bullying that continues to take place and that's social media absolutely and it is and and then one person starts it then another person gang up and and start it and another person and it just gets so overwhelming and they got to read it i mean that's human nature we've got to read what people good or bad are saying about us and it it, it really depresses our children they're already depressed to begin with because they may have an issue you know, they may be overweight or a, a nerd, they may say, or or something, and they just enhance that, and it just sends that child down a rabbit hole. And then you have some children who are living in complete poverty, working working a job themselves to feed their parents and their siblings. And I do have that. I have some great children that are out there trying to do it all. Wants that education, wants to go ahead and go to college or the military, and, and they are. They're the adult and the provider. How often do you have those cases where you do have this minor child working as hard as they can to, to put food on the table, but yet out of the blue they're, they're bullied at school, they're a target on social media, and then it just changes everything for them? Well, we have we have a few of those, and and there again, we are they the victim, or has he done something to act out against all of that negative that he's having to deal with? So you have to say, is he the the offender, or is he the victim, or is he both? You know, our sex trafficking children, they're probably both. And do we have a lot of that here in Rutherford County? We have some more than we should have. Absolutely. Is I mean, do you think there's enough being done? to try to fight that or what more could be done i do think that on the state level uh and even the federal level and local that that law enforcement's on top of that detecting that i I really think that they are it's difficult because they move they 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 move all the time and that's a little difficult for them but i think that they're they're really on it and the difficulty is if we have young girls that are in this situation it's the only love they've ever known and it's 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 and we have a great nonprofits again we have great counselors to help with with them trying to break through some of those uh barriers that they've been uh surrounded with you know i remember several years ago and it was here in murfreesboro after backpage.com disappeared i had a hotel clerk tell me he said you know our business has dropped by probably 70 percent since backpage.com that's what disappeared. they were advertising yes and, and, and that told me immediately well this hotel worker knew what was going on but they didn't do anything about it and i know money was behind some of that reason why they didn't do anything about it but that being said hotel workers be it the manager or just the clerk at the front desk they know what's happening 
they but, figure it's not their business, I guess. I hear that. It wasn't my business. But the bigger picture is. It, it is your it business. Is. It is your business. And, and you yeah. know, going back to you're required by law to tell police, tell law enforcement, tell DCS, if you suspect a child abuse case or child sexual abuse case. And some of those times, those prostitutes are just that. They're children. Children. They are. So there again, are they the victim or are they the defendant? And sometimes they're both. And I guess sometimes it's hard for a, a hotel clerk to figure out, you know, what's what. But and a lot of times they've got it down pretty good where they think that's an uncle, that's a parent, that's a relative, that they have a story. They always have a story, plausible story. Yeah. But you do have cases where people are arrested for sex trafficking right here in, in Rutherford yeah. County. You know, some are coming in from other states, but it, it's happening. It's happening here. And if they go across state lines, it becomes a bigger crime, right? Correct. So it's just, man, it's just crazy to think yeah. all the stuff that happens right here. Yeah. That's why we all need to do our part to make it a little bit easier for everybody. <laughs> so in closing this morning, if anybody has any questions or they want to learn more about you know, how they can get involved in, in helping somebody in some way. What do they need to do? Well, give me just a second. I'll get you a phone number. Uh, of course, the reporting abuse. Now, uh, we still haven't gone back to our walk-in Wednesdays yet, but we do have our, our YSO office in our building, and let me give you their number, 615 7850. You can call them and say, I've got a child, I've got a grandchild. Now you're going to have to have custody of, of your child to let them help you. They're there. They're there to answer any questions, help you with insurance, to get services. There are a wealth of information. And uh, we've got a lot of services that we can go ahead and give you. You can come in, you can make an appointment now. Um, and, and try to address some of the issues, and they can help you with that. And you said that's the what office? The Youth Service Office. Okay. We call them YSOs. It's our pro court probation for our children. Okay. And uh, and then the toll-free number to report abuse, 877-237-0004. Correct. And then they can do that online now as Exactly. Well. Mm -hmm. uh, again, with us this morning, Juvenile Court Judge Donna Scott Davenport, Rutherford County Judge. Thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Scott. Time right now, 9 o'clock. You're tuned in to WGNS Murfreesboro.